Hello and welcome to another episode of Impressions of America. I'm Simon and with me as always is Toby. Hi Toby. Hi Simon. Also with us today is Julian from the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Thanks for joining us Julian. My pleasure. On today's episode we're looking at the far-right conservative group the John Birch Society which was founded by Robert Welch in December 1958. Welch made a fortune from the confectionery industry and use that wealth to sponsor anti-communist causes and support Republican candidates, including backing Senator McCarthy's re-election campaign. Welch named the society after John Birch, an American Baptist missionary and military intelligence officer who was killed by communist forces in China in August 1945, shortly after World War II had ended. It is this character, quality and calibre of our membership which so amazes everybody on first learning the truth after having heard about us mainly from utterly distorted reports in so much of the press and over the air. Senator Barry Goldwater, for instance, although he frequently criticizes me, has repeatedly stated that the finest people he knows in his state are members of the John Birch Society. Well, I run down most hurriedly and joined the John Birch Society. Got me a secret membership card, started walking off down the road. Oh boy, I'm a real John Bircher now. Look out, you commies. Toby, could you tell us a bit more about the Birch Society and how it was formed? Well, the Birch Society, it really came out of the the Red Scare in many ways, because uh, Robert Welch was just like other businessmen when he was growing up, he, he encountered the New Deal and he despised the New Deal and thought it was, you know, it was a Soviet plot to, you know, transform the American economy. But he really, really became radicalized by the McCarthyist um, Red Scare and by the election of Eisenhower, which he thought was a complete stitch up. He felt there was a complete stitch up of Robert Taft, who had been the conservative firebrand and, and stalwart. And Welch had really supported Robert Taft's um, election bid. But in many ways, the moderate Republicans tried to get Eisenhower in because they didn't feel that in this post-New Deal era that someone as conservative as Taft could become president. Then once Eisenhower was in, he started to implement policies both in the foreign foreign policy sphere and in in domestic policy that in many ways echoed the policies of Truman and, and FDR. So Robert Welch felt very, very, I think, betrayed by the Republican Party and felt that he needed to create an institution that reflected his deeply anti-communist values. But where Robert Welch went that other conservatives didn't go is he, he actually, his theory was that Eisenhower himself was a communist. And this is quite a, it's quite a strange thing because he thought that Eisenhower was really the subordinate of his brother, Milton Eisenhower, who was an educator. Milton Eisenhower was the most powerful communist spy in America, and Eisenhower was his stooge, and Eisenhower was implementing these policies throughout um, the Western world. Hmm. That's an interesting theory. Um, 
can you uh you got any more thoughts on that yourself julian as the kind of the birth of the of the birch society yeah i i think um you know the john birch society what strikes me uh, with the way that it was formed is just how profoundly reactionary it was to some of the changes that were happening uh, in society. And that kind of resistance uh, in this case was abstracted into like broader conspiracy theories. But uh, it would only be later that I think the, the effects uh, that the, the society actually wanted would begin to be implemented in any kind of tangible or pragmatic way. Yeah, initially they sort of set up with a a council, a, a, a sort of collective of businessmen and professors that Robert Welch was the, the head of, and they set up a number of different chapters in different states. But initially, although they were an educational instrument, an educational um, sort of collective, they were not that sort of this um, sort of vigorous in their campaign to pamphlet here or to try to spread their message out. It wasn't until stories in the late 50s and early 60s that people started to work out who the John Birch Society was. And it was at that point when there was really sort of when a reporter had gotten information about the John Birch and really had gotten information about their views on Eisenhower that there was this feeling in the, the liberal consensus, in the political sphere, that the John Birch Society was a strange group. But before that, especially in 58, there wasn't actually that much media attention to them. And they, they really were an educational group. And they drew, in many ways, quite, I think, middle class and quite suburban Republicans to them. So it wasn't even people who necessarily were is was one would say attracted to this kind of conspiracy theory um stuff people who maybe were marginalized and things like that it was sort of like conservatives who were interesting the learning about conservative principles and this was in many ways part of the broader conservative movement that people like bill buckley and and goldwater had started yeah buckley was on board until things got weird and even the Koch brothers were on board. Fred Koch, who's kind of the this the strange brother, the one that they eventually uh, try to cut out of the family uh, mm-hmm. by blackmailing him. Uh, oh, the they, sex tapes, right? What was it? What they, was it? <laughs> they, they broke they broke into Fred's apartment um, to gather. I guess, compromise on him, found, I suppose, some like artistic photos. I don't even think that they were particularly <laughs> damning. And then they had an intervention where they told him, um, Fred, we know that you're gay and we're going to tell dad unless you divest yourself and give us uh, your parts of, of the company. And mm. of course, it didn't work because Fred just said, I'm not gay. But Fred was, I think, what, what bothered them is that he wasn't very focused. Uh, he wasn't very organized, wasn't very focused. He spent uh, most of his life actually yeah, um, kind of collecting art and um, buying giant mansions and renovating them and making them very like opulent and lavish. And so it, he, he, he just didn't follow in the kind of like Charles and David, uh, you know, pragmatic, let's take over the world um, vein. And I think that bothered them. But it, it's funny because he was the kind of one of the first members of the John Burr Society. And he stuck with them after, after David and Charles saw that it was, you know, less useful to stick around uh, in terms of what they wanted to get done. 
So I suppose the kind of the next question is why why was the society seen as so radical compared to just simply being another part of the fight against communism? Well, you have to go back to the liberal consensus. You have to the the, the feeling in the McCarthy era was that actually anti-communism could sort of unseat um, so it could run into conspiracy theory and could try to unseat members of the political class. So especially Eisenhower himself, Eisenhower tried his best to marginalize people like McCarthy. And once McCarthy had died, the mantle of this kind of anti-communism, there was really a vacuum for it. There was anti-communism, obviously. That was, I mean, even people like uh, JFK would say that we're, you know, we're in a fight with with communism, and, and it's a fight between, you know, peace and and tyranny, basically. So there it was a general feeling that communism was anathema to the principles of American society. But it wasn't until '58, when when um, copies of Robert Welch's book, The Politician, started to spread around, and it. And it re, re, Initially, it was spreading out a very small amount of people that it was realized by people that actually Robert Welch felt that there was an sort of a expansive um, conspiracy inside America. So, I mean, there was a feeling in the liberal consensus that communism was evil and it was it was uh, trying to spread throughout the world. But this this sort of fear of the enemy inside was something that you know, people did weren't taking seriously. And once once the Robert Welch's views had come into the public sphere, you had people like Nixon calling him an extremist, you know, saying that these kinds of people they would they think that the any types of ends justify the means. You had congressmen both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, who felt that this kind of attitude, this kind of feeling that Eisenhower was a communist, that his brother was a communist, that Robert Dulles was a communist, that Robert Dulles's brother was a communist, this kind of fever sparked this feeling that the Red Scare was coming back. So there was that initial fear of the John Birch Society. Although, like some conservatives, especially people like Goldwater, for example, although once Goldwater had actually gotten the manuscript from Robert Welch. He 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 had been financially backed by Robert Welch, and so had Bill Buckley. But once he saw the manuscript, he was he told Robert Welch to burn it immediately. He's like, this cannot get out. The, the, the idea that Eisenhower was a communist cannot get out. They told him to burn all the copies. Obviously, Robert Welch didn't burn any of the copies. <laughs> but uh, Goldwater maintained that these people, these um, Birches, were some of the strongest and most vigorous organizers uh, local organizers that he had and he did not want to um weaken his hand by calling them extremists so he he had conversations with people at the national review people like bill buckley who did want to marginalize the the john birch society but goldwater felt that it was too risky because they they seemed to be the almost most passionate supporters of him they they also were saying shit that the the left um that the left would have considered uh, good, like they wanted the United States to get out of Vietnam. Uh, so, so that really, I think, threw some of these more um, kind of paleoconservative aligned. Uh, sorry, that's wrong. 
so, um, some of these more like kind of warmongering nationalists, it, it, you know, it, it threw them off. Um, it it, uh, put, it put them on their guard against them. And then also that there were some beliefs that were just plain weird. Like the, they were against fluoride in the water. They, they called it mass medicine. So like that's, that's <laughs> like early Alex Jones stuff in the 60s, you know. And so, yeah, like I think that's um, very early it was a bit like the never Trump reaction to MAGA and the, the kind of bizarre people that uh, constituted the Trump, uh, the Trump, like early Trumpers. They just thought they were grotesque and, and uh, they, they made them look bad in a way. But, but I think, uh, you know, in essence, they weren't so far removed. It's just that they embarrassed them somewhat and they, they took everything too far. And then there was also the question of, Welch's um, cult of personality, which, you know, I mean, they would meet weekly and watch a movie by Welch. And like, it's, it, <laughs> I don't know, it was very focused around him. So I think that also bothered people who wanted to build their own uh, profile and, and, you know, wanted space uh, to be, to be their own public figures. Yeah, that's it. There was a sense that this was really undignified. That was the feeling that a lot of Republicans and especially people in the liberal consensus had about the John Birch Society. And it's not even just like fluoride in the water. They sort of believed, in, they feared the UN. They, they thought that, especially people like Nelson Rockefeller, who, who you know, came from this um, banker, internationalist bank, sort of banker and industrialist family, that they felt that he was plotting to create this one world system. It, it, and it is, it is a paleo-conservative feeling, that paleo-conservative feeling, that fear of modernity almost, that, that fear that actually um, we're going to have a one world system and we're going to lose control of our lives. So that, that they, 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 they were conservative in the sense that they, they felt that it was important for people to be responsible, but they veered into the, these sort of weird conspiracy theories and when the water in the UN with Eisenhower, it, it yeah. really was early Alex Jones shit, really. Yeah, they, they were talking about the globalists and, and the United Nations and all of this, uh, this idea of like a, a deeper international conspiracy to undermine uh, the United States, you know, probably, yeah, probably the first. <laughs> I was wondering if we could talk a little bit. We kind of touched on it already, but just how the the some of the more extreme right saw the John Birch Society. So, for instance, you had uh, anti-Semitic and racist groups who actually um, criticised the John Birch Society because they actually took Jews and non-whites into the membership, and they yeah. actually some actually accused them of harboring feminists and uh, evolutionary ideas, which of course was rejected by by Welsh. And I've got a quote here saying. All we are interested in here is opposing the advance of communists and eventually destroying the whole communist conspiracy so that Jews and Christians alike and Mohammedans and Buddhists can again have a decent world. <laughs> Which it is... sounds so much like MAGA. It's so funny. I mean, yeah. It even sounds like QAnon. I mean, if you look at the <laughs> seminal video for 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 uh, for QAnon, the one that they always send people to get red pilled on, uh, it's called the Plan to Save the World. Like it, very early on, it it shows like images of kind of you know Muslim people having fun in a park and just being like, yes, we, we accept all of these people as long as they agree that you know like the Rothschilds are fake Jews who you know were responsible for the Holocaust and uh, Hillary Clinton is a traitor like you know it's 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 so bizarre how they're like 
they're they're so far gone that that their yeah their ideas no longer have any pragmatic basis. They just they just want the ideas to live for on their own terms, and they're down with anybody who's on board. Yeah, like in terms of race, like they did have chapters with African Americans in them. In the North, they weren't segregated. In the South, they were segregated. But they wrapped up all of the civil rights movement into their theory of communism. They felt that yeah. the communists had started the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King was probably a communist. And what they were trying to do is they were tr- trying to create a civil war in the South. They felt that the South system was, was going on quite well. You know, they, they didn't want the Southern system to be disturbed, not necessarily because they were virulent racists like some people in the South, but they, because they felt that that almost like the civil rights movement was creating a fifth column that was going to create a civil war that was going to bring uh, America, in, you know, turn America into red China. Yeah, but Candace Owens was a John Birch member at the time, and she said it was fine that, that they... Uh... That they were trying to <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> she said she signed off, and so they are not racist. Wait, was she really a, a John Bircher? No, absolutely not. But she does serve. She does serve the exact same role in today's MAGA movement. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, t- talking about uh, famous people on the right, I do actually have a quote from Iron Rand in a Playboy interview from 1964, which is quite a nice combination. Uh, where she said, "I no I can... idea what she's going to say." <laughs> I no consider. Idea. I consider the Birch Society futile because they are not for capitalism but merely against communism. I gather they believe that the disaster state of today's world is caused by a communist conspiracy. This is childishly naive and superficial. No country can be destroyed by a mere conspiracy. It can be destroyed only by ideas. So it would appear as if even in the right and some of the extreme right, they didn't necessarily take the John Birch Society particularly seriously. And um, it seems as if maybe... The Birch Society itself kind of just stood for one thing and didn't really have a, or was perceived to just purely be anti-communism. It, did, did they have anything more about them than just being anti-communism at that time? Well, I mean, they hated FDR's New Deal, so it, it did spring out from some sort of, I think, uh, you know, simple analysis of the economy that Robert Welch had, because he had been a businessman. So he, he was like, he was a basic conservative, like a basic bitch conservative, but it was anti-communism that made him interesting. I, I do think, though, that to the extent that they were taken seriously, I think they really did influence Goldwater's campaign. So Goldwater was running against Lyndon Johnson because JFK had been killed. And Johnson, I mean, many people thought that Johnson was going to win. But Goldwater really used the upcoming, especially in California and, and throughout the nation, like the, the, the new um, com, uh, conservative movement that was really stirring up. And members of the John Birch Society were among some of the more sort of uh, happy and ambitious members of the conservative party. And they were really pushing him. And, and actually, Robert Welch had really, before Goldwater had even emerged, especially in 1959, Robert Welch had talked about how there was no chance of a, of a real conservative movement really coming through, which is why he said that the John Birch Society was basically an educational instrument. But once Goldwater emerged, the members of the Birch Society pushed him, I mean, fanatically. So once Goldwater got to the, to the convention, 
people like Rockefeller and people like Scranton were saying, actually, we need to bring in an amendment into the convention's uh, sort of constitution that we're going to rebuke members of the John Birch Society. And, and Rockefeller even sort of um, brought the John Birch Society into his critique of the Ku Klux Klan and, you know, other dangerous groups. So he thought this was a really dangerous group. And he went up on the podium and, and, and denounced them. And then people were shouting, we want Barry, we want Barry. And then when Barry Goldwater went up on, on, the, on the podium, he said that he said he did. He, he pushed against um, trying to bring in an amendment against extremism. And then he said that, you know, it, he said his famous line about extremism being positive and, and moderation, moderation in the in the course of um, of. Oh, I forgot the quote. I would remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. And let me remind you also that moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. Moderation in the, in the protection of liberty is no virtue. Extremism in the pe- defense of freedom is no vice. Very nice. So, and, and so once he... Had... <laughs> Iron Rand. <laughs> so once Goldwater had um, sort of made that quote, it, it, it was clear that he was sticking with the extremists or members of, of the conservative movement in order to create the energy for him going into the campaign. But the Lyndon Johnson campaign picked up on on this and they in on their convention they brought a motion um condemning and any kind of extremism but goldwater really didn't pick up on this because in the media he was ravaged by this quote martin luther king condemned this quote most people condemn this quote and i think many historians see that the goldwater campaign as really brought down i mean he he was beaten handily, but he was beaten that badly because he was considered an extreme candidate. And and I and I think by being characterized as the the candidate of the John Birch Society, that really hurt him. So it shows that members of the John Birch Society were in fact involved in mainstream conservative politics. After the nineteen sixty four campaign, Goldwater did his best to even set up a new group that would marginalize the John Birch Society. And William F. Buckley, who was seen as by many as really the, the person who was who was the gatekeeper to conservatism, initially when he got the politician by Robert Welch, he sort of like he looked at it, he saw that it was fantastical, these notions. He and he said that actually it was too it was too. Um, he said it was too enthusiastic, and it was it was it was too. And he felt that the idea that Eisenhower would be a communist, it was just too easy. You know, <laughs> we, we, what it, we needed to seriously attack Eisenhower for his policies, not for this fantastical notion that he he was actually a communist spy. But then he just sent him back the manuscript and said that he disagreed with him on some of the details. He did not start this campaign against Robert Welch un- until into the 60s. And he, even then, it was a campaign against Welch himself, against the cult of personality. 
but not against the the John Birch Society because people like Goldwater felt that the John Birch Society was really important for the conservative movement. But it was only after the 64 election that the National Review, many writers, Russell Kirk, um, Bill Buckley himself, started their their campaign against the John Birch Society and their you know fantastical notions. Yeah, I mean it's that that's similar. This kind of like secret admiration and and public uh, public denial is kind of consistent. I mean Charles Koch uh, wrote a paper actually where he studied the John Birch Society as a model uh, for you know uh, building uh, the, co- the what they call the Coctopus, the kind of big mm-hmm. multi pronged machine that they would use to transform society in ways that they wanted, and. He did argue, for example, that the John Birch Society's secrecy was a very good thing, and that uh, the, you know he even he said in order to avoid undesirable criticism, uh, you know the how the organization is controlled and directed should not be widely advertised. And he did also say that the John Birch Society was very good in the way that they um, that they sold. Uh, people basically through like Tupperware parties, uh, but uh, you know he, he he said all modern sales and motivational techniques to raise money and attract donors, including meeting in a home or other places to prospect, uh, to to prospect with them. I mean th- th- that was kind of uh, what he was uh, was saying was good about it. However, he did say that what he didn't like about the John Birch Society was that they looked bad publicly. Uh, he says that, uh, quote, we should work with rather than combat the people in the media and the arts. Um, so it's the same thing. They, they just wanted uh, a machine that worked better on a pragmatic level and that would have less um, public uh, backlash. Interesting. So that kind of takes me on to the, the point which uh, kind of relates to how, how the John Birch Society was able to kind of move on and actually be relevant as as it were we've kind of just seen them as a punching bag thus far amongst certain parts of uh, the republican uh, and sort of far-right movements but they must have made some impact beyond just sort of failing to get goldwater elected or um failing to uh kind of have a real credible uh, footing with the, the anti-communist thing what was it about the society that actually made them have an impact? Was it financial uh, wealth that allowed them to uh, infiltrate areas of society? Was it just their kind of um, strong message on anti-communism? What what was it that actually has made the John Birch Society hang around, and what has it what's made their sort of society have an impact to this day? I think um, I think they really had an impact between. 58 and 68 the John Birch Society since then because they they peaked in membership I think in between 64 and 65 so they peaked in that Goldwater era but after 68 especially as the conservative movement started to diffuse into much more cultural and social issues the John Birch Society I think because of the way they were structured with Robert Welch at the top and his board members, they really weren't able to pick up on this. And they started to flow into other conspiracy theories about the Illuminati. There was this idea that there was this, I mean, you know, (laughs) that this society, you know, hundreds of years old, and that communism 
was only, although though Robert Welch was against the virulent anti-Semitism, although some, while some members of the John Birch Society board were in favor of this anti-Semitism, Robert Welch seemed to to feel that actually this Illuminati, which was hundreds of years old, was just using communism as as one of the many ploys it has used against free people. So he started to get into the Illuminati conspiracy theory, which further alienated the John Birch Society from um, sort of average conservatism. And it is interesting, given that the John Birch Society had, you know, the, the types of uh, demographic, especially in the 60s, you know, sort of um, upper middle class or middle class suburbanites, that it, it is easy to see that they would start to sort of run away from the, from the John Birch Society, especially as the issue set of the conservative movement went away from communism and went especially towards social issues. But I think that the John Birch Society in that period, and I, I think it's, it's, you, sh- you shouldn't ignore the, the fact that they had such a strong organizational power with the Goldwater campaign. Even someone like Ronald Reagan, for example, when he was in Hollywood, he, he talked about how in Hollywood there is a wash of communists or communist conspiracies or com- communists in the Hollywood unions and things like that. So that kind of conservatism was a part of the conservative movement. It was marginalized, especially in, in, in 64 and after that. But in between 58 and 64, this was a legitimate part of the conservative movement. And, and that should not be ignored. Yeah, I think that also, uh, you know, kind of observing the John Birch Society just within the within the limits of its direct activity is the wrong way to think about it because you know mm-hmm. it's it, they're such uh, they're basically mystics, you know, and and if you mm-hmm. look like for example, we talk a lot about how fascism like changed the world and how Hitler and Nazism had a profound effect on the world, but like very few people are are now talking about Volkish occultism and Volkish occultism a lot like the John Birch Society was kind of the seed bank for Nazism. If you look at the more mystical ideas, the more kind of uh, abstract ideas behind Nazism, the idea of like the purity of blood and then the the Aryan people and the you know the kind of the nation as a body and all that stuff that that was all present in the Volkish uh, occultist movement that existed before the Nazi era and Hitler similarly to the the modern conservative movement tur- turned his back on the kind of occult side of things and the séances and all this bullshit because he knew it wasn't going to fly it wasn't going to like allow him to rise to national power it wasn't going to it wasn't going to like swing it with you know the german housewife and 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 stuff like that so he kind of got rid of the more abstract and occultist uh uh, parts of the movements to build Nazism as it ended up existing, even though when you look at the ideas behind Nazism, it's still a bunch of mystical bullshit. Uh, it's just that he hid that very well and he turned his back on it. And it's the same thing when you look at like the Koch brothers and these other guys who have like, used philanthropy and used, you know, legit legitimate uh, institutions and infiltrated them uh, by kind of like paying money to seed ideas and have books written. 
they decided, hey, uh, you know, we don't need the John Birch Society's, you know, uh, PR issues. We're going to uh, actually hide in a more kind of organized and uh, and pragmatic movement and become more efficient and pretend that this is reasonable and logical, even though if you look at the kind of intellectual roots, it's just complete crap. It's it's super abstract. It, it has nothing. There's nothing logical and reasonable. Uh, reasonable about it, um, and and that's I think that's how th these movements were able to be damaging on a larger level. So that yeah, looking at at just like the actual activity of the John Birch Society during that decade is is limiting your scope and understanding of it. Yeah, it's 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 really important to go back to the fifties and, and look at the conservative movement as an embryonic movement. The liberal consensus, if you look at nineteen sixty. The two candidates and Robert Welch, you know, he said this himself, that the two candidates were one of them he felt belonged to, you know, um, Ruther, who was the leader of the uh, labor unions. And the other one was the, the puppet of Rockefeller. So there was the idea that these were candidates that were both, they're both centrists and they, they're both sort of speaking to the same constituency, which Welch felt alienated from. But Welch is, but it's in the 50s, you look at McCarthyism. The whole, and you go to mysticism, because I think that's a really, really great point. You go to mysticism, McCarthyist's uh, idea of what is real or, or, or what is knowable, the ontology of it was complete magic. Magic. It was magical. And that was what Robert Welch was. He, he, he was a magical thinker. He's a mystic. And it's really important because we, we, we touched on this before with Bill Buckley. Buckley saw the conservative movement as this sort of hothouse of um, of sort of magicians and, and, and crazed thinkers, and really brought and really brought liberal ideas of empiricism and facts and and try to make it a debating society and things like that. So he really sorted out the 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 sort of rough edges of conservative of the conservative movement. But this kind of feeling was the conservative movement in the 50s and and so you have to think about almost in paradigms like robert welch before robert welch and mccarthy before bill buckley made it you know in, in, he, he basically made it decent and normal yeah sort of like hitler did <laughs> <laughs> so kind of moving time forward a little bit then how did the john birch society or did it evolve as America evolved, as the Republican right evolved? So we've talked quite a lot about the 50s and 60s. As we kind of went 70s and onwards, and we, we obviously went through the different political changes, did the John Birch Society sort of shrink in focus? Did it become even more kind of uh, inclined in it's just sort of singular beliefs that, um, that Welch had? Or did it sort of expand and become fuller in thought with maybe, you know, things you say against the UN or against sort of globalism in general? I think as communism, the communism faded into the Brezhnev era, and then at the end of communism, I think there was a feeling that communism was no longer the op, you know, the operating theory behind um, the, you know, the the need for societies like this. I think it shifted towards things like the UN. I, I, if you look at the John Birch Society's website today, they have a list of myths, you know, myths <laughs> that people say about them, and one of them is that. You know, the, the myths about Rockefeller and the UN. And, and, but instead of like 
repudiating it. They say that you know Rockefeller wanted the world one world government. So this this idea about you know the, the this paleoconservative idea that the UN is evil still continues as one of their sort of operational um, sort of myths. I, I guess it's funny now to look at Trump and think that William Buckley was wrong that we are or just maybe weren't quite yet but we're eventually going to be ready for a you know john bircher president mm-hmm. that we just i guess that the, the zeitgeist wasn't stupid enough or we didn't believe <laughs> it was stupid enough like the the intelligentsia just didn't believe that people were ready for that kind of shit but we were we we're always ready for um a mystical leader like trump to <laughs> to, to lead well, us into a shining future or maybe yeah, they just didn't have a candidate like uh, Hillary, who they, we just didn't hate enough back then, that we would still vote for Trump, kind of regardless. So maybe, maybe all we need for any kind of political movement of the extreme is just to have Hillary as the opposition, and then that's <laughs> what you'll get. Yeah, exactly. if Hillary had been there in '64, we'd have got gold. Or exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I mean. You're always there's always going to be. I mean, I think that is paleoconservative. There's there's this almost pagan, volkish myth of a of a, a leader, a figure, that will bring together this folk, this 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 nation, and 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 that's really the appeal. But if you go back to the the 80s, and this is why the John Birch Society was really alienated in that period. Like you go back to the 80s, and and some writers, I think Ben Sixsmith has recently wrote about Max Boot. Max Boot is a conservative, never Trumper, and he he um, he was writing about the eighties and how he really loved Bill Buckley and the sort of, you know, the the you know Buckley's almost ambiance and and the, the intellectual um, credibility of that period. The the you know and and I think that there is that something sounds like that... a great mood candle, by the way. Buckley's ambiance. <laughs> Buckley's ambiance. <laughs> Buckley's ambiance. Uh, but Buckley on his yachts, things like that. That people like Ross Douthat and Max Boot the reason part of the reason why they don't want to be part of the conservative movement anymore is that they, stylistically it's changed uh, Buckley really did create some sort of um milieu for them that 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 worked but i think this is this is the dynamic in in modern conservatism and and it's always been the dynamic you know you you can have a conservatism that's built on, you know, at the least the the superficial idea that it's it's fact based. They were all intellectuals. You can have a conservatism that's built on the Robert Welch and, you know, QAnon idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, QAnon is definitely very uh, very much a Bircher, like an offshoot of uh, of the Birch Society. Because, you know, oftentimes it's they're accusing centrists of some of the most outlandish stuff. And, you know, the globalist idea is is built in and, you know, and it's 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 almost like if the John Birch Society was um, an open source uh, Petri dish for for whatever the hell, you know, the individual mind is cooking up. Uh, it's, it, yeah, it, it's kind of more welcoming in a way, whereas the John Birch Society, uh, you know, it's, it, it was, it was a, to, to become a member of the John Birch Society meant to have like organized thought, at least on some level. But now all you have to do is uh, open your browser in your lazy boy and you can be part of the, uh, the QAnon movement. So, yeah. So it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big, become a member. Solution. 
would you say it's quite the natural evolution then for John Birch Society to kind of seed societies like QAnon? Is that is that is there a linear kind of timeline of that then? Do you think can you actually kind of say that without you know the Birch Society was kind of a, a formative uh, approach of these kind of crazed ideals of uh, the QAnon? Yeah, I absolutely think so. In the same way that uh, you used to have to sit in the same room to do a podcast, and right now we're all on Skype. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I think like um, Matt Chrisman has talked about how like you can really engage with conspiracies today. You can all you have to do is open <laughs> open your laptop, and you're not just sort of seeing the conspiracy from you know far away. You can actually be part of the conspiracy. And you can mm -hmm. engage in it. So yeah, you don't have to like listen to sit down and listen to jo uh, John Welsh's fucking endless video <laughs> he made about himself. You can just go and log in, and some guy with a single letter that you've never met and don't know who it is, it, you know, gets you started down a rabbit hole. Exactly. But in it's the sixties, these people they were they were middle class people. They had a lot of they tend they tended to have some income, and they tended to have a Free time, so there was a lot of housewives were in the John Birch Society. Yeah. But the, the kinds of people who engage in John, these kinds of conspiracies today have changed dramatically because it's it's much more accessible. Um, I was going to say, but by the way, if anyone is interested in getting some candles that smell like um, any conservative movement people, such as Bill Buckley, we are interested in opening up an Impressions America shop. So I'm sure Toby can create some scented candles for anyone who is interested. So uh, that's uh, at USA Impressions on Twitter. If you are interested, please contact us. Sorry, yeah. I thought. I'd just, I'd if get you that. get the Robert Robert Welch candles, we'll put you on some sort of list. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if you get Nixon ones, you'll be put on a very different kind of list where Toby and I will come around to your house to deliver them personally. So uh... Uh, yeah, And you'll be on the podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> Alternately, you can just go to Trump2020.com. <laughs> oh, come on. There has to be some Trump sort of scented candles, right? I mean, surely. There absolutely has to be. Yeah. They just put out, they put out like collections now. They're like, oh, the <laughs> fall collection. I'm not even fucking kidding. His kid was fucking putting up shots of the fall collection. It's like some fucking. They have a camo sweat pant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for swearing. By the way, I don't know if you guys are. No, that that that's fine. Swear as much as you want. Yeah. So they're doing that. So yes, absolutely. Get the onesie. Get the candle. Get the butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that that's an image. Um, I, I hear that actually part of the aid that's now going to Ukraine is going to be Trump scented candles as well. So it's kind of working yep. out for everyone. Um, so, so falling back from one conspiracy not to another, um, where are we today with the John Birch Society? We kind of talked about their influence and their kind of um, their sort of their, their mission points these days, as far as talking about the, the UN or whatever it is. How like actually active are they? Are you know are are they generally pushing for new membership and are they actually genuinely getting their message out there, or are they just sort of a relic of the past that just so happens to have sort of helped get uh, people like QAnon uh, started? I think that in the post-Trump era, especially, I mean, we, we, we have sort of talked about the, the almost the birch, the birch of president, you know, but in the, the post-Trump era, there has been some mutterings that they were part of the Tea Party movement and that many John Birches are training, actually training um, new conservatives. So yeah, there there is a sort of 
almost like a, a resurgence of John Bircher activity. And and they and if you go on the John Bircher website, for example, they have a have a video, and it's 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 almost in the style of those like those liberal Vox videos. It's they, you, you, we have two <laughs> individuals who look like Vox journalists. You know, one guy in a flannel shirt and a, like a a girl you you would expect to yeah write for the Huffington Post or something like that, and 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 they're they're giving you a Vox explainer about the myths around the John Birch Society. So there is a sense in which that they are media savvy and they are adapting to this new network, especially because there is some resurgence. I've heard rumors that Kotaku is a Bircherite organization. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, I definitely, and there, there, there has even been a small resurgence, like more like physical and organized resurgence in, in Texas. Um, and they're still railing on about the UN and how the UN is about to do all the, all kinds of bad stuff, even though the UN passes resolutions and nobody follows them anymore. They're completely defanged. Um, and no one really cares, but the, the the paranoia is still there, and uh, I think that the secrecy continues to make them um, quite effective at at seeding uh, seeding their ideas. But also, I, I feel like a lot of the ideas have their own momentum now, mm. and have been integrated in uh, in broader ways. Uh, and so you will see um, Bertrand ideas just kind of transpire. Uh, in in uh, in some of the writings of these uh, quack fucking platforms like Quillette and just all of these these awful endless um, caliper wielding outlets that uh, that seem to be suddenly uh, kind of popping up left and right for an audience that is hungry for this kind of stuff. And Alex Jones also has kept this stuff alive, even though he's increasingly becoming uh, almost like an old guard figure. Uh, but but uh, I think that the, we're going to have um, a new crop. I mean, we have QAnon presidents. Uh, sorry, we have QAnon congressional candidates. Uh, we have a president who retweets QAnon. So I'm almost, you know, wondering, like, do, you know, do they do they even need like a a real kind of ground game anymore? It seems like the the virus has already spread and uh, and is kind of alive and well in, in this era. And I think that the election of Trump kind of blew everybody's mind because we all assumed on some level that you know uh, the Obama years and and that just this kind of general agreement that like centrist pro-capitalist um, liberalism was just uh, the the new way to to be and that society was just going to get better and better and um, and we were going to become more and more accepting and then someone came along to prove that 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 was false and it happened not just in in uh, the United States, but you you know you have people uh, running in in Europe taking out ads like saying that they're going to fight George Soros. So like the the ideas, uh, the anti-globalist ideas, the anti-UN ideas, the kind of uh, nationalism um, is I think is like more virulent than it has been since the 50s and 60s when the the Birchers had to like actually have a ground game and xerox stuff now now it's it's fine like uh q mama you know uh, 
1776 is going to be spreading <laughs> those memes herself, that there's no need for an organized uh, thing behind it. Yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to uh, 4chan being the only way you can actually vote, as well as maybe, maybe the YouTube <laughs> comment section, but that, that, definitely coming in the near future. Well, uh, everyone can stay anonymous except black people. They still have to do voter ID. They do, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's a whole separate rant in itself. Uh, is there anything else, uh, Toby or Julian, you'd like to discuss about the John Birch Society other than maybe handing out their URL so we can all sign up? <laughs> I can't fucking believe they still have a website. I'm sorry, that is that is amazing. <laughs> what fresh hell. There, There is a myth on the website that says they, I think they killed, they killed the JFK. Which is a myth that I'm the enemies. That's exactly what people who killed JFK would do. But the interesting thing is that Robert Welch, when he found out, he was obviously, he was campaigning against JFK. He wanted to impeach Al Warren. He wanted uh, JFK and his communists to be impeached. But once JFK died, he did send off a a message to um, his widow and said that, you know, he was really sad, sad that the communists had killed him. And, you know, like... Oswald kind of was uh, the kind of person who would, who Robert Robert Welch's theories would say would kill JFK. So he 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 was kind of proved a little bit right there. But I think the society went too far because actually one of the members of the board wrote a piece completely disparaging JFK's legacy. So that so I guess the John Birch Society they they they. They hurt the liberal consensus because they did not respect. They didn't even respect people's deaths. You know, they 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 were they were very. I think they 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 maintained their marginal status in the liberal consensus, and especially because the liberal consensus was policed very hard. You have to think about the liberal consensus was shared by the Republicans and the Democrats. So, they they did they stepped beyond the the limits of the liberal consensus. But today, I think. Because we don't really have a political consensus, as uh, Julian really well said, that the 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 metaphysics of centrist um, economics and, and and capitalism that those were sh- in many ways they were shattered by the Brexit vote and the the Trump vote, and now we we sort of live in a post-truth world that really is characterized by the John Birch Society's lack of respect for death, lack of respect for facts. So yeah, we, we you know, and they don't need really need a ground game. They're building up, but do they really need it? Because it's it's in the water, like in the fluoride, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> yep. We're all birches now. That's why they hated the fluoride. It was keeping us safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, Julian, anything to add other than your sort of pledge of allegiance to it? Yeah, no. Uh, go to qmap.pub if you want the latest. <laughs> I hear that the John Birch Society has uh, migrated there, just like the Gamer Gators from 4chan to 8chan. So. Fantastic. Well, yeah. uh, QAnon uh, is a uh, sort of great podcast, and yeah, like, the you Q- guys no. are the, the really are sort of funnel for the Epstein shit right now. You guys are. You guys are on <laughs> top of that. Although there is that TrueAnon podcast that came out of nowhere. I like. What are you guys doing about them? Are you trying to liquidate those people? Or? 
hey, we're all friends. We're all friends here fighting pedophiles together. But uh, yeah, we were never really the Epstein podcast. I think we have a more broad approach. Like we cover a lot of uh, right wing, um, like far right wing radicalization and, and yeah. other conspiracy theories and, and figures in the disinformation landscape. And then we also do like radio plays and stuff and and kind of comedy. We're, we're quite structured and researched. So yeah, I think there's space for everybody here. But yeah, the QAnon Anonymous podcast is uh, is how people can find it. It's very, very much worth a listen to. So um, oh, if you are... Us. No, absolutely. Um, I, I was just wondering whether or not we could sort of form our own John Birch Society around a sort of anti-Epstein um, society. Uh, yes. You know, re- replace communism with pedophilia and we're kind of ready to go as it were that's great but we have to pick like uh some missionary who was murdered like <laughs> completely randomly abroad like do we have should we just should we just do i mean fuck it well it nothing matters anymore Why, let's just do seth we'll call it the seth rich society okay that sounds good right but now toby if you want to design a flag for us around this this would be great um it's fantastic right we need some pamphlets or something but other than that Just I think photocopy we're... the isis flag will be fine <laughs> <laughs> toby's already doing that for other projects anyway so it work, works out well uh, great well um i might promote my isis podcast on <laughs> <laughs> it's even better because he does it from location which is just real commitment um, well uh Toby, Julian, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. It's been a real pleasure. Really enjoyed this one. Um, I'm really looking forward to signing up to the uh, John Birch Society website for all their uh, their emails and everything. So um, make sure you do. Everyone does the same who is listening. Try and get that to membership up to a million, just as uh, Robert Welsh uh, asked for in the 1950s. Um, so yeah, please uh, check out Julian with the QAnon Anonymous podcast and check out Toby for. Uh, well, we'll see what other podcasts you come up with, Toby the Tower, <laughs> either Epstein or uh, Radical Islam related. We'll see if either of those make the cut or whether or not you'll just remain on the uh, Impressions of America podcast by itself. I don't. Any other podcast you'd like to, to promote right now? Uh, not, no, not right now. No. Oh, okay, I have that... ideas, but not right now. <laughs> okay, it'll, it'll just be the Impressions of America and the sort of Nixon Weekly that you, uh, you do yourself anyway. Uh, Man, that'd be such a good podcast if we could do a weekly podcast on Nixon. Our next podcast is on Nixon. It is. Of course it is. Nixon and China. (laughs) We are doing Nixon and China just because we we do genuinely love Nixon. You know, there's an opera called Nixon and China. We could just review (laughs) that. Is there really? Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Okay. Well, from Julian, Toby, Nixon, and myself, uh, thank you very much for listening. And yes, please, please check out the QAnon, QAnon Anonymous podcast and uh, future episodes of Impressions of America. Uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, take out all the parts where I suck at speaking. and. <laughs> If we did get all the parts where people sucked at speaking, Toby and I wouldn't have a podcast, so... uh...